All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'd like to welcome you all to uh, welcome everybody who is watching and following along here with this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame Hall Call Interview Series. Uh, as always, I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director here at the Hall of Fame, hoping everyone had a wonderful and safe holiday weekend, and hopefully everybody's summer has gotten off to a very good start. Um, as always, before we get started, I'd like to thank our partners here at the Hall of Fame who help us put on initiatives such as Hall Call and a lot of everything else that we do. Priority Automotive, City of Virginia Beach, Davcon Inc., Optima Health, ESPN Radio 94.1, and of course our friends at the Hampton Road Sports Commission. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to do things like this, and we wouldn't be able to talk to people uh, like you see on your screen, uh, Michael Kadire. Now, it's summertime, and baseball players are known as the boys of summer, but uh, joining us today is Michael Kadire, 15-year veteran in, the, in Major League Baseball, two-time All-Star, 2013 National League batting champ, and a 2018 Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee. But on top of all of those accolades I just mentioned, uh, Michael was recently named to the coaching staff for USA Baseball 18U team that will compete in the U18 World Cup in Florida later this summer. So Michael, as always, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Well, I'm glad to be here as always. So thank you for having me and uh, yeah, look forward to have this conversation. Well, it's always good talking baseball. Now, if, if those of you who love baseball, you need somebody to follow on Twitter, follow Michael at mcuddy23 on Twitter, and then USA Baseball is just at USA Baseball, all one word. Um, as always, this is up on Facebook Live right now, so if you have some questions, please feel free, and we'll try to get those questions up on the uh, up on the stream today. But um, I guess let's just jump right into it. You know, you you've been out of you've been out of Major League Baseball now as a player for a few years but you have definitely kept your, your nose to the grindstone with baseball, both locally and then now with USA Baseball. Tell us a little bit about your upcoming role with USA Baseball and what you're hoping to accomplish this summer. All right, well, as you mentioned, it's, it's for the 18U national team. And um, it's kind of unique in the sense that it brings my career pretty much full circle. Uh, this team back in 1996, the first time I was on it, I was on this team in 96 and I was on the team in 97. It was kind of like my jumpstart to my career, my platform of, of being noticed on a national level. And it really got me in the minds of, of scouts, professional scouts, and really thinking about being drafted high and ultimately in the first round. So, you know, I, I kind of, I obviously, even though it was feels like it was 100 years ago, <laughs> I have a sense of what these players will be going through. And this not only this summer, but in leading into next year with the opportunity to get drafted. So it's a unique perspective that I'm able to give and hopefully I'm able to help some of them out along with our quest to win a gold medal. The two years I was on it, we won bronze. So I've got some retribution I've got to get uh with the, with the rest of these countries. But uh, I'm excited to be able to wear USA across my chest again. It's always been really close to my heart. Um, I do a video blog with them every two weeks that I've been doing for about three or four years now, um, just about the state of youth baseball, things to help youth players or amateur players and amateur coaches. So I've, I've really tried to keep involved in USA baseball, even, even during my times as a, as a major league player, I tried to keep involved with the people there just because of how much of an impact that that organization made on me. Yeah. You mentioned it, it feels like a hundred years ago, but it's really only 25 years ago. Is there a specific moment that you remember from your time with me, with a USA baseball over 96 and 97 um, that really helped you kind of take that next step? Was there somebody or was there a moment that, you know, helped in your development you know I think just the the experience in itself you know coming from 
from here in Chesapeake, you know, not too many people had the opportunity to be able to do something like this at that time. Not too many people played across borders, so to speak. Not too many people, you know, there weren't the showcases like there are today. You know, there, there weren't the perfect games like there are today. So what I think it, it really helped me realize was, number one, that I can compete with pretty much anybody in the country. And it didn't matter that I didn't go and play in these in Florida or I wasn't from Texas. I wasn't from California where these guys get to play, quote unquote, year round. And, you know, back then that was the talk of why they were so good is because they got to play. But that didn't matter. And number two, in my adult life, what that experience taught me was that you don't necessarily have to do the travel and to go play, you know, all of these things at such a young age to be able to compete with the best players in the country. There are good players here locally. And there were good players here locally that really trained me to be able to go and compete with anybody in the, in, in the entire country. Give us an idea of the player pool that, that USA baseball is pulling from for this particular squad. And how many players are you kind of uh, reviewing right now? And, and what's going to be the final number that goes with you down to Florida? Sure. Well, it starts, it starts at the end of, of, of this month of July. Uh, July 23rd through uh, July 31st, I believe. And that starts with what's called PDP. And that's something that Major League Baseball has developed in conjunction with USA Baseball. And it stands for the Prospect Development Pipeline League. And this is the second, really second year. They, they couldn't do it last year, obviously, because of COVID. But 96 rising seniors will be invited to this PDP league for these seven or eight days. And they'll go through a series of games, workouts, uh, instructional seminars throughout the course of this week, hearing from various with former major leaguers or coaches or, or, you know, esteemed high school coaches, they'll, they'll be run through the, through the gauntlet, so to speak. And from that 96, 40 will then get invited back to the USA trials, which is going to be in Florida at the end of August. And from those 40, they'll have a five-day tryout where we play games and workouts, basically the same type of thing for four or five days, which will then cut down to 20. And that 20 will be on the national team to represent us in the, into the World Cup. And fortunately, this year is the first time, maybe first time ever, or at least first time in a really long time that it's actually in the States. It's going to be in Florida, and that's uh, middle of September. Well, maybe we'll have a weather advantage with it being in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, COVID obviously has affected a lot across the sports world this last year. But when it comes to the, the development of a 16, 17, 18-year-old baseball player, what challenges do you think that they've had to face over this past year um, as far as, you know, on the field? And, and how can you and your coaching staff and your fellow coaches kind of help them get over that hump of having to go with, you know, 15 months where they weren't able to interact with fellow USA baseball players? Yeah, you know, what's funny is, is and this is, I said this throughout the whole pandemic and um, especially to, to high school players, amateur players, even the 13U team that I coach with my son, uh, this was an opportunity to, you had a choice. You have a choice that, this year and a half, and it, it was for everybody, had a choice. And I, I, I read somewhere it's a live time or dead time. They had a choice to separate themselves and get better individually because it wasn't structured practices. It wasn't I have to be at practice on Monday through Thursday. You actually had a choice whether to go out and work or not. And I think you see a separation 
of the players that truly wanted to play and wanted to get better and wanted to improve, those kids went out and worked on the days where they weren't allowed, you know, they went out into their driveway or their garage or their backyard and practiced and got better. And you could definitely see that when things got back. I was, I, I was never a believer that games and, and playing hundreds and hundreds of games was going to make you a better player practices in what, in my opinion, now you still have to have a test. No question. You still have to have games. It's still part of the equation, but I've never, never been a believer that, games and, and playing so many games is what's going to make you a better baseball player. So in my opinion, you don't see, you didn't see too many players lose it all of a sudden because they didn't get game experience. Yeah, no, it definitely, the, the commitment has to be there. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. we've talked ad nauseum kind of offline many times about specialization. Everybody wants to specialize and you want to do it nine, 10, 11, 12 months out of the year. But but when, when you're trying to get to this point, this is actually a time where you should specialize because if you're going to be in USA Baseball, that, that's what you want to do. But when you see how the, the game and the mindset has shifted at such a young age, I, I know personally that that's a concern to you. But what can you say to parents of a developing athlete and why they shouldn't specialize at such an early age? Well, specialization is, is, is dangerous in a few different ways. Physically, you know, I think there's, there's tons of research out there that shows when you consistently use the same muscles in the same sport over and over and over again, you're more susceptible to injury in that, in that uh, sport. You know, as opposed to if you're a baseball player and you go play basketball, you're working different muscles, you're keeping different parts of your body in shape to then be able to recruit those muscles in your sport or in baseball, so to speak, to, we're just using baseball as an example. But also to me, it, it's, it's a lot socially as well. You know, my friends were completely different in football than they were in basketball, than they were in baseball. I wrestled and my social circles in those particular sports were completely different. I wasn't in the same bubble, so to speak, my whole life, which then when I got into pro ball really helped me. And now Chesapeake's not the most diverse area, but at least I was able to somewhat understand how different people think and there's different cultures and different upbringings. And we have to mesh as one in order to, to, to succeed and ultimately win as a team. So when I got into pro ball, I at least had different groups and different ideas. I was at least uh, surrounded by different things. So now that I'm, I'm with different cultures and different uh, nationalities, I'm able to kind of get in that melting pot and not be shell-shocked, so to speak. So that's another advantage of playing multiple sports and not just being in your one little bubble for you know the time that you're eight years old until the time you graduate from high school. Well, and, and that, that wealth of knowledge and just that experience uh, that, that you bring to the table is, is definitely one of the reasons why I'm sure USA Baseball targeted you to be a part of this coaching staff, but kind of give us a little bit of insight into what exactly your role is on the coaching staff, because you're not the manager, you are on the coaching staff, but what, what is it to you that if you're going to have a successful run with USA Baseball this summer, you will have done what? Well, I think first and foremost, my title is assistant coach, but uh, it's also hitting coach. Uh, that's that's kind of what Jason Maxwell, who is the manager, brought me on to be is, is the hitting coach, and so I'll develop the, the batting practice routine that will start with PDP and, and that, that league, and then take that all the way through the summer with, with, the, with the actual national team. Um, I'll have to formulate a couple programs throughout the PDP league, as far as what we're going to focus on, on the offensive side of the game. And, you know, not only are we 
especially the PDP league, not only am, are we trying to, to recognize players for this team and for the national team and trying to win, but we're also trying to help these players in their, in their uh, way of getting drafted and they're, you know, along the, the line of getting drafted and help them when they perform in front of scouts. And so you're kind of teaching them, but also trying to, to get them ready to, to try out for our team as well. What are some of the differences that these players will face from, say, their high school or their showcase teams into then transitioning into PDP and USA baseball? Yeah, not too much. I mean, when we're talking about these players, these players, have, they're kind of polished as, as is yeah. when they come. When you get to this point and you're going for the 18U national team, um, a lot of these guys have been through the, the circuit, so to speak. They've done the showcases. They've been in front of the scouts. They've been in front of the most of them if not all of them have already committed to colleges. So they've, they've done it. They've been there. They've been in it. Now it's just about maybe picking out a little few things that could, you know, help them tips and tricks, so to speak, that will help them. And then once the team is made, making them buy in to let's play and win a gold medal in a 10, in a span of only 10 to 12 days, getting that buy-in from the get-go and, and establishing that buy-in out the gate in this PDP league of what it is they're actually playing for. Not, not, this is not an individual showcase, even though it is, we're not, the ultimate goal is to go win a gold medal for, for the, for our country. And uh, so it, it's a kind of a fine line. It's a, it's a, it's a tight, tight rope that we're going to have to walk in getting these guys prepared for their own individual careers. But at the same time to be looking ahead of, I'm going to make this team to have USA across my chest and go win a gold medal. Uh, I mean, therapists and mentors is always something that falls under the coaching umbrella. They just don't necessarily put it in the uh, job description. Um, but when you look at where players are today versus when you were this age in the late 90s, what's an area that is just miles ahead as far as training and preparation now as opposed to 25 years ago? Well, I think training and preparation. I think, um, you know, the access that these players have to training facilities, um, just the, the knowledge, the, the, the wisdom of people that have come before them and the evolution of, of the knowledge and the evolution of the science of how to train and how to get, I mean, I didn't, I don't think I really, really started lifting weights until after I was drafted. And I dabbled in it because from playing football and in middle school and high school for the football team, but then I'd go on to basketball and I'd go into baseball and I, you know, I wouldn't really lift. So I didn't really start strength training until I was 18, 19 years old. Whereas now guys are starting really getting after it at 15, 16, which I think is a good thing. Um, I think nutrition is, is one thing where maybe not so much in high school. You hope that, that guys are kids are paying attention in high school to nutrition, but definitely once they get into pro ball at a young age, I think nutrition is, is 100% um, better than just the knowledge and awareness of the importance of taking care of your body, what you put in your body. You know, when I was, when I was, I mean, I would, there would be the, a sleeve of E's ice cream would be getting down there and like every other day <laughs> orange croissant rolls and Pillsbury Doughboy stuff. I mean, that was, that was what I was eating in high school because I was burning it off during the course of the day, but I still wish I would have paid a little bit more attention to what I was putting in my body. Well, that was the 1990s, you know, energy drinker, the, the energy bar. <laughs> that, that's what Absolutely. You were at that point. Well, on the flip side then, so, you know, the, the players have a much better 
way to train and prepare now, but what's a skill that you're seeing lacking, like an on-field skill that you're seeing lacking, particularly from a hitting standpoint, like as the hitting coach, what is something that you are really trying to hone in on to make sure these guys don't develop a bad habit, you know, in year two, three, four down the road? Yeah, you know, at this level, and, and again, me coming into this, I don't, I haven't, I haven't really seen any of these kids play. I haven't seen their swing. So for me to, to get in there and say, this is how you hit, or this is the mechanics. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to me. I don't think it's fair to the players either. You have to develop a relationship. When you start talking about mechanics, you start talking about the skill of hitting. Um, there's a trust factor that's going that has to be involved for that player to then buy into what you're telling them. So my approach is just that the approach to hitting and understanding and being aware of the strike zone pitches in the strike zone counts, different counts, what you're looking for in certain counts two strike approach. Um, the skill of, of being able to control the barrel within the zone. You know, I think that's something that, that you see lacking a little bit because I think there's a disconnect between what goes on in the major leagues nowadays and what goes on in amateur baseball nowadays. You know, you have analytics that are involved in the major leagues and analytics are saying the greater chance you have to win is by putting up a multiple run inning, right? So if you score two to three runs in an inning, your chances of winning that game are go up astronomically. Well, the chances of putting together three hits or four hits in an inning in a major league baseball game are slim. So the greater chance to be able to put up multiple runs in an inning is a two run, three run home run, get a guy on base, hit a home run. So that's what they're going for at the big leagues, because that's what the analytics say is the greatest chance to win the game. That doesn't translate in the amateur game because kids aren't strong enough to have three home runs. You don't see three home runs a game in a, in a high school game. It just doesn't happen. So you need to be able to control the barrel in the zone. You need to be able to move runners over. You need to be able to go first to third. You need to base running, pay attention to base running. All of those things that used to be considered small ball that used to be prevalent in major league baseball still needs to happen on the amateur side. And I think that's where that disconnect is. Have you seen the launch angle revolution start to trickle its way down into youth baseball? And, and have you seen the negative effects of that? Because like you said, you know, the kids just aren't at a point where they have the strength to do that consistently. You see it at times. And, and you know, launch angle, I think sometimes gets a little bit of a bad rap because you do need to hit the ball in the air to hit a line drive. Like a, ball, a line drive, by definition, is in the air. It's not on the ground. So you do need to be able to hit the ball over the shortstop, over the second baseman's head. It's obviously nice to be able to hit it over the outfielder's heads. What you don't want is, is the hang time. And a lot of times that's, that's where you've targeted, where you're hitting it off the ball. And that comes to spin. A lot of times you look at spin. So if I cut a baseball, it's just like a golf ball. If I cut a, a, cut a ball hitting it, it's going to spin more, which is then going to make it hang up into, into the air more, which then is going to give the outfielder a chance to come under it. But if I'm hitting the ball solidly, if I hit a baseball square, I don't care if I hit it high in the air. I don't care if it's a line drive. It's going to go. So I think, you know, we don't want to swing straight up. We don't want to swing straight down because what we're doing is essentially we're, we're making our margin for error so small that we're then cutting the ball just like we would in a golf swing. When you, when you hear the term an American baseball player, like now that this is such a global game, 
what is something that's identifiable to a good American baseball player that might not be to say, you know, the Caribbean players or the Japanese players? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question because I, I just think of baseball player, you know, yeah. I don't really look at, you know, obviously Latin baseball players are known for slick fielding and, and being able to, to, but so are American players and so are Japanese players, you know, baseball player to me is, is a universal word. It's a universal language. If you're a good baseball player, you're a good baseball player. And your identity is just that you're a baseball player. And, um, you know, I, I think we can all learn from the ways that different cultures do things. I tell our, our young players all the time, if you ever watch a really good Latin infielder play catch, every single ball is pop. He knows where to catch it in the glove to make that pop sound. And I think that's attention to detail. I think it's attention to detail that they, that's what they want. So we can learn that from watching, you know, Latin infielders play catch, but not every Latin infielder does that. You know, so I think, you know, sometimes you, you watch things in the major leagues and because the fraternity and the pool player pool is so small, it's easier to generalize. But then you get out in amateur baseball and the player player pool is enormous. It's, it's a little less less easy to identify different nationalities and what they do. I actually have a question from Jonathan in Northern Virginia, and he says being in Northern Virginia, he's not terribly familiar with the Hampton Roads market. But why do you suppose this area has become such a goldmine of baseball talent as well as talent in other sports? I, there's just a lot of talented players. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think where there's talent, people are going to find that pool. And I and I Northern Virginia is the same way. There's a lot of talented players up there. Um, you know, I think nowadays it's easier to discover talent. You know, whether it's all the showcases that that people go to, or social media. Um, I think colleges in Virginia are obviously better. Um, and that's, you know, you see the College World Series this year and you see UVA being able to play in Old Dominion, getting into the into the NCAA tournament and, and having success at, at these levels. I think that's bringing, you know, attention to this area and, and has been for, for a really long time now. You know, you mentioned earlier that one of the one of the, the roles that you've kind of played with USA Baseball over the past three or four years is, is you're kind of I don't know if I want to call it an advice column, but it, it, it kind of is that Kadir's Corner. And you, you talk about a lot of a lot of things, whether it's life lessons, up and coming baseball players or on field lessons. But one of the things that you recently spoke about was your transition from wanting to be the best individual player you could be to being the best teammate you could be. Talk about that transition. And, and I know it's a it's kind of a. It, We've talked about it in multiple events, and, and there's a lot that went into it, but how and when were you able to make that transition, and how can you impart that on the players that you're going to coach this summer? Yeah, so, you know, baseball is a, a, a jacked-up system, right? Um, <laughs> and it's actually trickling down into youth baseball, especially with showcases and stuff, that we're all worrying about our individual numbers. And, you know, if I'm committed to a college or I'm getting recruited and once I'm in college is I'm going to get drafted and I'm going to, you know, my pop time as a catcher is whatever. And my 60 yard dash is whatever. And I hit the ball 400 feet or my exit velocity is this, right? So that is all geared to your uh, production and your progression through 
through the system, so to speak. And then once you get into the, to, to minor leagues, it's almost even worse. It's like, I'm going to get promoted to double A or I should be in double A. I should be in triple A. I should be in the big leagues. You know, we won, but I didn't want that short stuff, the guy that I'm playing behind to do well, because then it impedes my progression. To, so this whole time, this whole system, you're worried about yourself. And then you get to the big leagues and it's all of a sudden we all got to play together to go win a world series. Right. But yet, even in that, it's like, I need to put my numbers up to be in arbitration. I need to put my numbers up to be free agent, to, to get my contract and free agency. So 2005, I was the first time I really had a chance to, to play every day, no strings attached. And this was already my third or fourth year in the major leagues. And it was to play third base. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to be that, to, to, to have my numbers be good for arbitration, to not have to be a role player or a bench player anymore. It was, it was, so I was, and I started off struggling and I literally would stay up until six in the morning every single night, just cause I didn't want to fall asleep and then have the next day come so quick and then just have to repeat it all over again. My anxiety was through the roof. And, you know, we all know you stay up till six in the morning. It's probably not a good recipe for production. So then that snowball effect takes, takes, a, takes effect. And, one bad day of sleep leads to the next one and bad performance leads to the next one. And then the anxiety continues to get up your heart races. Every single time I step in the box, I felt like it was, I was going to die if I didn't get a hit. So 2005 ends. And I really, I have a, a heart to heart with myself. I sit down and look in the mirror and said, I can't do this anymore. I would rather not play in the major leagues than have to feel the way I felt during that season. And at that time, I came to the realization that the only way I was going to be able to be able to alleviate the pressure and the anxiety that I was putting on myself was to solely commit to being the best teammate that I could possibly be and solely commit to trying to make my team the best it could be and pick guys up and stop worrying about myself too much. So I went into that season. I didn't play hardly at all in April. I had like 20 at bats. But it was probably the happiest I'd been in my career up to that point at the big leagues because I wasn't worried about myself. I, I truly committed to this. A couple of injuries went on. Make rolls around. I finally get a chance to play because I was really the only one left. And I took off. And in five months, hit 20, 25 home runs, drove in 100 runs, scored 100 runs, and did not feel that pressure throughout the whole season. And it was literally just helping the team. And, you know, it kind of switched that mindset. And I was able to take that for the rest of my career. And it really was the, uh, the separator for me. Well, mindfulness is definitely something that we've talked about quite a lot. Uh, you know, for those who don't know, Michael has been a very uh, valuable member of a, of a local group that we have here on sports and mental health with the local children's hospital, as well as the Hampton Road Sports Commission. So definitely sharing that story, I think hopefully is beneficial to a lot of people. But you know, get you out. I got a couple of questions left before we get you out of here. But you mentioned how the showcases are now the showcase teams are, are it. And, you know, th there's just a lot of pressure to be so good at such a young age to get that scholarship or to get in that pipeline. You know, what is the state of baseball in the U.S.? I love baseball. I'm not going to jump on the, the bandwagon that says baseball's failing and it's falling behind <laughs> basketball and football. I see fans at the stadiums everywhere I go. So it's not failing. But what is the state of baseball in the U.S.? <clears throat> Well, I mean, yeah, the, the state of baseball is is fine. I mean, it, it, financially, it's a $16 billion industry or something. I don't even know what it is right now, but it's somewhere in that realm. It's a lot of um, money. <laughs> people are people are watching in. 
people are tuning in regionally to their teams and to their favorite teams. And people are starting now that stadiums are getting back to full capacity. People are going to the stadiums again and watching the games. Um, youth baseball, more kids are playing baseball than ever have been. So baseball is, is, is doing well. Now, are there things that baseball can improve on? Of course there are things. There's things that every business can improve on. There's things that every conglomerate can improve on. Um, baseball needs to do that as well and will continue to evolve as it has for the last 150 years. It will continue to evolve and continue to try and put a good product out on the field in Major League Baseball for the, the youth and the kids to play it. But, you know, the showcases, more kids are getting opportunities to go out and see to play. The one thing I'll say to, to youth players is why are you playing the game? Don't ever lose perspective of why you're playing the game. It's very easy to lose that perspective when your buddy's putting on Twitter that he's a 2028 uncommit. You know, you're 11. You're, you're, you're not. Yeah, of course, you're uncommitted. <laughs> you know, so you know, it's easy to lose perspective of why you wanted to play this game. Don't lose that perspective, because if you're playing it truly for the enjoyment, it doesn't matter if you're going to get committed or your buddy gets committed or this person's going to get drafted or that person's going to get drafted because you're all doing it for the same reason. That's because you love the game of baseball. Yeah. Baseball with the time that goes into it, it's definitely, it's a labor of love. And, and I think that the kids got to definitely keep perspective. The coaches and the parents even more so need to keep perspective. And I'll get you out of here on one more. Uh, it's kind of a, a fun question, but sitting on the sidelines now, not being in the big leagues, what are your thoughts on this sticky substance issue that they're going through? And do you have, do you actually have a, do you have an opinion on it on either side where it's, is there a line between safety and getting a good grip or is there giving you an advantage over the hitter? hundred percent is getting an advantage over the hitter. 100%. And they've been doing it forever. Um, and that doesn't make it right. Yeah. And the sheer fact of I don't want to hit somebody is 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 an excuse. You know, these guys are these guys have thrown a baseball long enough where they can put it in the realm. You know what you might have to end up doing, though, they might have to end up not throwing one hundred and fifty miles an hour, which, in my opinion, you know, you hear the you hear these these pitchers and I wasn't a pitcher. So I can obviously I, I, I can't say, but you hear that these pitchers are blaming not being able to use sticky stuff on injuries. I think the injuries could possibly go down now because you can't just grip and rip and throw it as hard as you possibly can, which will then take a lot of the torque off the elbow, take a lot of the stress off the shoulder that now we have to maybe tone it down to 95% as opposed to just throwing a hundred percent, a hundred percent on the slider, a hundred percent on the curveball, a hundred percent on the fastball all the time and still being able to control it. Maybe now we'll have to tone it down just a little bit and maybe we'll save a couple, a couple injuries. You know, that's a, that's a great point and not something I've really thought about, but 15, 20 years ago, you could probably name the guys in the league who could throw, who could hit triple digits, probably even do it on one hand. And now it's every single team has two or three of those guys that are coming in for situational pitching to be able to do that. So, you know, it, I, there's, there's a lot of merit to that right there and uh, definitely going to be fun to watch the rest of the season. And, There'll be a lot of complaints and a lot of suspensions probably as well. But uh, and, and, it's Michael, just, and, it's, and it's just like any other thing. As it, as it continues to evolve, there'll be less complaining. Everything gets – you complain when it's new, but as it continues to evolve, there'll be less complaining. It'll be less, less of a big deal made out of it. 
Well, people hate change, and I'm sure baseball players probably fall right into that category as well. So <laughs> a lot of change coming. But Michael, uh, you know, I know that you've, uh, you're very busy this summer, so I really want to thank you for taking the time to catch up with us today. It was fun learning about the USA baseball role that you have and, and just talking baseball in general. So once again, thank you for taking that time out today. My pleasure, always, anytime. Well, everybody, make sure that you follow Michael again on Twitter at MCuddy23. Make sure you follow USA Baseball's progress throughout the U18 World Cup uh, in, in Florida, September 10th through the 19th. Um, I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in. And as always, I'd like to thank our partners, Priority Automotive, the City of Virginia Beach, DAVCON Inc., Optima Health, ESPN Radio, and of course, the Hampton Road Sports Commission. Be sure to follow us here at the Hall of Fame on all of our platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at VA Sports HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. And whatever you do, participate, don't spectate. Everybody have a great day.